Wow. All right. Here we go. We're starting a new series today. Welcome uh, to Grace Point. Uh, I have been away quite a bit this summer on different global adventures, but also some study time, vacation time. And we're kicking off a series of messages that uh, you might be thinking, well, he's up there on a t-shirt and this is Olympics or you at weight lift. What's this? Listen, this is about the Olympics. We're going into one of my favorite times every four years. It rolls around. The Olympics are here and I want to watch. In fact, this next week, we're going to be cleaning the DVR. Okay. We're going to be getting all the stuff off of DVR because we're going to make as much room for the Olympics as possible because we want to watch watch certain things, certain events. And I imagine, uh, how many of y'all are going to watch the Olympics? Raise your hand. All right, so I'm not talking. Okay, good. Good. Most of y'all are uh, going to watch some of the Olympics. Uh, good. I want to be able to talk to somebody and have a relevant message here for a moment. Uh, but we want to know, what is your favorite Olympic activity? I know there's a lot of them out there. I don't even remember how many there are, uh, but we're taking a survey so you can take out your cell phones right now and text to 22333-GPC-NWA, and then you're going to get a, an, extra, a, 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 an extra text to text back, and you can put A, B, C, D, or E in there. You've got several options, track and field, gymnastics, uh, basketball, football, football, or f- soccer, uh, or other. That's synchronized swimming, badminton ping pong, all those categories. All right. If there's another category, you go in the other category. All right. And so you can see kind of the results from our first gathering and also this gathering as they come in right now. Majority of people in our first gathering, 52%, actually now yours is coming in there. So, you know, majority gymnastics, you know, are going to be what everyone is going to be watching at Grace Point. As we talk about the Olympics, we get excited about the Olympics, we get ready for the Olympics. One of the things I'm excited about this year is they're actually having a refugee team uh, to represent in the Olympics. Uh, A number of people, in fact, there are up to 10 men and women who are displaced from their homeland. Even if you don't like the Olympics, you've got to love the fact that the world comes together. And even those who don't have countries are getting to represent their skills and their talents and their their elite talent as, as it is because these people have been training for years. Some of them work on this all their life, but this refugees, uh, a refugee Olympic team will be represented uh, during the Olympics, and I think that's just really cool as they will be representing their homelands, from both from South, most of them are from South Sudan, but others from Syria and other parts of the world. And so, as you think about that, the world comes together four times, I mean, one time every four years. We come together and we don't battle it out unless we battle it out on the field of competition. In enemies and in arch rivals and people who are in cold wars or people who are in, in active wars and we're, we're, we're going to, we're going to battle it out on the gridiron. We're going to battle it out on the basketball court. We're going to battle it out on the soccer, on the pitch, excuse me. We're going to battle it out in all these different locations. And it's going to be a beautiful time for nations to rise up and to be, uh, one in the world to come together. Again, you may not like the Olympics, but they're probably pretty popular. They're one of the longest-running athletic events of all mankind that we can track. Now, it was dead for a number of seasons, but it actually dates back to the ancient Greece, and you know that. It dates back to Alexander the Great. It dates back before the New Testament. It's, 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 it's incredibly uh, steeped in history. Now, however, whenever it's the ancient Greek games, they actually only had about four or five different competitions. Uh, is the Athenian Games, and it happened in Corinth. Now, hang on to that. It happened in Corinth. Now take your Bibles and open it to the book of 1 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians, if you're a Trump fan. You know, so, uh, 
open it up to 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look at chapter 9. We'll be there in just a moment. But now, just, So just imagine with me for a moment. He's writing to Corinth where the Estamian games took place. He's going to draw from, Paul's going to draw from a metaphor of athletes, of athletes, of running and boxing and fighting. He's going to draw from this in a very real, because in the uh, Estamian games that happened every two years at that time, uh, there were five different contests, leaping, discus, running, boxing, and wrestling. That's it. That's all there was. But that was what they lived for. In fact, they lived for it every two years. The judges would start training two years in advance before the games, the judges and coaches. And then 10 months before the games, the athletes would come out of their own personalized training. And then they would be in strict disciplined training. And I'm going to use the word strict discipline here in a little bit. But you've got to keep your mind in first century Greece. You've got to think about how these athletes didn't get there by sitting on the couch. They didn't get there by watching the games. They got there because they disciplined their life to perform at a level, to do something, to sacrifice something, to accomplish something. Now, what Paul does here, hang with me. What Paul does here is he ties the Christian faith and the Olympics, first century Olympics, together in this metaphor. And he draws this, this bridge across the two. And basically, I want to challenge you in this series. What's it going to take for you to be a gold medal follower of Christ? All right? There's all kinds of medals. I mean, excuse me. There's all kinds of models around us. There's people at different standards and different bars are set at different levels. I want to ask you the question. What's it going to take for you to be a gold medal follower of Christ? Because that's what Paul's calling us up to. That's what he's challenging us to. And in this metaphor, so just real simple, quick connections here, the games that he's referring to represents our life, represents our faith. And the crown represents the rewards and the values of heaven. All right? So what he's going to do is he's going to measure, the. he's going to bring the two together. The games are the life and the faith that we live. Tie that together over here with the crowns and the rewards of heaven. What this is going to be in a simple, simple way to put it, we're going to study for the entire month of August and today, one word, one word. We're only going to study the word crowns. It's a word study. If you were to put this into a Bible study methodology kind of class, we're going to be doing a word study. And we're going to study the the. Some of the 18 different times, in fact, we'll probably hit on all 18 of them, that this one particular word, crowns, is mentioned. Because it's very interesting. The times that it is mentioned, it's mentioned by Matthew, it's mentioned, excuse me, it's mentioned by John, it's mentioned by Peter, it's mentioned by Paul, it's mentioned by James. And it's all in reference to future it's all in reference to our lives well lived and the life that we lived and whenever we die and the rewards that we'll receive in heaven. So we're going to be talking about as if we're living a, uh, in the Olympics today, but one of these days we're going to pass from this life into eternity and what's on the other side. And the life that we live today, the life that we live today will determine a lot of how we will 
experience life in the hereafter. Now, hang on to that, okay? I'm not saying certain things, and I'll unpack that in a few moments. But we're going to look at one word. And you think, Mike, how in the world can we spend an entire month talking about one word? Listen to this statement by Irving Jensen. He said, just as great as, uh, just as a great door swings on small hinges, so the important theological statements of the Bible often depend upon even the smallest words, such as a preposition and articles. We're going to be looking at a noun, the noun of a crown. We're going to be looking at, at this, this, this thing, this crown that it refers to. Now, there's two different words in the Greek for crowns. One is diadem. It's used only in the book of Revelation. It's used only to refer to a king. We're not going to be talking about kingly crowns here. Okay, when I think about a crown, the first thing that, come, that comes to my mind would be Queen Elizabeth and her crown. Okay, we're not talking about a kingdom's crown. That's diadem in the New Testament. We're going to be talking about the Greek word stephanos. It's used in two other scenarios, situations, and we're going to be spending our, our most of our time looking at the second one. The first time it's used, it's referring to Jesus and his crown, his stephanos. And the crown that he bore when he hung on the cross. But there's a lot of irony here. Because he bore a Stephanos so that one day we would receive Stephanos. There's an irony in that that we need to dwell on a little bit. He bore a crown so that one day we might receive crowns for the life that we live. A life well lived. It's used 18 different times in the New Testament. And the times that it's used in the New Testament outside of the crown of Jesus, it's used to the crown that is given to believers who live a good life, a, 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 an honorable life, a gold medal life, if you will. Now, we, we don't look at a crown today and we go, hey, I'm excited about a crown. I want a, I want, I want a crown. You know, I want a Benz or I, I, I want a Beamer or I want a nice vacation. We, we think in terms of that. But when you were in first century Greece... You talk about something of value. You talk about something of honor. You talk about something that even represented deity. You talk about a crown. When you look into Greek mythology, Neptune and Pan both wore a crown. Wreaths around their head. Zeus had a laurel that went around his neck. Tiberius would wear a crown whenever there was a thunderstorm because he feared thunderstorms to protect him in times of danger. Tiberius would wear a crown. The Spartans would put a crown on their head before going out into battle. Women in a time of a wedding would adorn themselves with a crown because a crown was a thing of beauty. So when I talk about a crown in this series, when I talk about the crowns that we might receive, when I talk about imperishable crowns, a crown of righteousness, we need to lean in on this because what, what God is saying here through the writers of the New Testament is this is valuable. Life is valuable and the life that you live and the way you live your life is valuable because what I'm going to do is I'm going to honor your life with a crown. Now, is, it a, is it a metaphor? Are we going to actually receive crowns when we get to heaven or what will we receive? I don't know. There are some beautiful things about heaven, believe it or not, that even Paul, who had traveled there and came back, couldn't even tell us. But there's a metaphor here, or maybe our little crowns, I don't know. But here's the, here's the life principle that we need to tie this all together. We, and you know this in parenting, you know this on the job. You get a raise, you get a bonus, you get something like that. You know about this. We reward what we value. 
and we value what we reward. If we really believe in something, we're going to reward it. Straight A's, honor roll, first chair. You get some kind of reward for that kind of level of behavior and conduct and, and scholastic performance. You want to raise? You, want to, you, you do a certain thing and you get, you get a certain quota, you meet your goals, what happens? You get a reward for that. We reward what we value and we value what we reward, right? Well, so what, what we're going to learn here in this series is we're going to learn about a faith that God values and a faith that God rewards. See, some of us are just checking off heaven as a fire insurance policy from hell. I am a follower of Jesus. Tick. No. It is a life well lived for Christ. In fact, I hope in all of our lives, in my life included, I hope the bar will be raised on what it means to follow Christ in this series. I hope our, our standard of measurement of what it means to walk with God will be at a whole new level whenever we talk about this. And here's a question I think we need to wrestle with throughout this entire series. Do I practice the kind of faith that God values? Am I walking in the faith that God values? Not the faith of my fathers, not necessarily the faith of my, my spouse, not necessarily, but the faith that God looks at and smiles at. Is that my level of faith? Walk with Him? I want to talk today about four qualities of a faith, but I want us to go to that passage of Scripture I'm referring to in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And again, he's writing to the church at Corinth where the Athamian Games took place, where the original Olympics were taking place. Every two years, so these people knew exactly like knew exactly what he was talking about and could agree with it. And so let's pick up reading verse 24, chapter 9. It says this, Do you not know? He's stating the obvious. But do you not know that in a race all runners run? Now think about how ridiculous that statement is. Thanks, Captain Obvious. You know, in a race all runners run, don't they? Well, yes, you wouldn't be in a race. You, you would saunter if you want to. Join a saunter. You can, you can disco if you want to. Go join a disco. You know, you, you can do all, all kinds of things, but if you're in a race, you're, you're running. Now hang on to that thought. But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, they do it to receive a perishable wreath. There's the word crown. Okay? Stephanos. But we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my... He says, what I don't do is this, but what I do do is this. I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, he brings it back to faith. I myself should be disqualified. Asking yourself the question, is the faith that I live, the kind of faith that God wants me to live, the kind of practice of my faith, is that the faith that God is going to honor? That's a deep question. Let's dive into what he says here about what the qualities of a faith that God values is. Number one quality is, and I, don't get to stumbling on these words but because I, I, I am, intentional intensity, okay? 
There's an intentional intensity with the faith. You know, there are those who like to coach faith, like coaching a sports team. They sit on the sideline, and they need to be in the game. But they're not. They're telling everyone else what to do in the game. There are some people who grandstand their faith. These seats make easy for you to slip into grandstanding faith. I'm just going to come in here, and I'm going to sit back, and I'm going to evaluate the band today and the sermon today. It was good. It was not good. I give it a scale of 1 to 10. Uh, you know, you're going to grandstand the faith. Then there are those who water boy the faith. They kind of they help out here, or they help make sure their kids get here. But they're, 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 not, they're not taking it. They're not in the game. They're not really a part of it. But they'll show up every now and then, and they'll, they'll drink a little bit, and they'll pass on a little bit. Then there's those who armchair quarterback the game, the faith. They look on, and again, they criticize, they, they critique. They, they do it from afar, though. They're not sitting in here. They're, they're from afar, and they're critiquing all the wrong things with the church today. That's not the metaphor that he used. He talks about running. He talks about all runners run. All missionaries, missionary. All ministers, minister. All followers of Jesus are following. See, and Jesus makes it very clear. If you follow me, I'm going to make of you something. If you follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. So the, the, and you heard that from Randy last week. So the real test is, are you following him? Is there really evidence of that? My question to you today is, are you running? Are you really, really running? Or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Watching. See, following, there's an, there's an intentionality. Runners run. I hate running, okay? It's my personal opinion about running, in case you didn't know what it was. I have to consciously choose to run. I run three or four times a week, not because I love it, but because I must. Met one runner one time who ran every day. He was as skinny as, skinny as a bean pole. I said, why do you run so much? He says, real simple, I run every day because I eat every night. <laughs> All right, makes sense. Stop eating, you can stop running. You know, the reality is, is runners run. And if he's going to call the faith a running kind of faith, then I have to ask you, I have to ask myself, am I running or am I just talking about running, thinking about running, planning to run? Because runners run, they they don't just talk about it. Swiss uh, psychiatrist uh, Carl Jung said it like this, you are what you do, not what you say you'll do. You can go to the store today and buy the the, the nicest pair of running shoes. You can get some of those little skinny short shorts and you can go out and, and you can act like it or you can talk about it. And you can go home and you can watch the Tour de France and you can get your bike and you can, you can pretend that you can do whatever you're going to do to your bike to get it. But listen, if you're not on the bike, you're not biking. If you're not running, you're not running. Listen, we can talk about faith all day long, but if you're not faithing, you don't have faith. If you're not walking with God, you're not walking with God. If you're not stepping out of the boat when Jesus calls you out of the boat, you're not going with God. There's an intentionality about it. Following Jesus, there's an intensity about it. Running. Why didn't he choose something easy? Why didn't he choose be a couch potato for Jesus? <laughs> Eat a bag of chips for Jesus. I, am, I can do that. No problem. Take a nap for Jesus. He said, run. 
Something is going to raise your heart rate. Something is going to raise, cause blood to come off. Something, not blood, hopefully not. But uh, sweat to come off your brow. Something's going to change the way you look and the way you feel and the way you function. Listen, there is an imperfect beauty behind the running. I never get the runner's high, though. Have anybody experienced the runner's high? I just get runner's low. And it just, I, I, I've run, I've run a half marathon once and, and I kept waiting for the high to come. And so finally I stopped at half a marathon. But the point is, is that we, we, there's an intensity about this. It's not going to be easy. It's going to cause us to sweat. It's going to cause us to sacrifice. But a part of the faith, a part of walking with God is there is an intensity about it. Generosity. When you talk to some people, they say, oh, you know, one of these days I'm going to give Mike one of these days I'm going to get back. i got a boat payment right now. And we're going to go on a nice vacation. And my credit cards, man, they're maxed to the hilt. I really can't give, Mike. But one of these days, as they drive off in their new lease car, listen, if it's not a priority today, it won't be tomorrow. If you don't clear your plate and your budget today, you won't have it tomorrow. It doesn't just magically appear. It's not when you get your next raise. You know what? If you're not praying now, you're not going to pray tomorrow. You're not going to be a person of fervent prayer praying for your children if you don't ever just get up off the couch, put lace up your prayer shoes, and start praying. There's an intentional intensity about walking with God. You're not going to go across the street and share with your neighbor. You're never going to make it around the other side of the world unless you say, I'm going to go around the other side of the world and share Jesus with somebody. Unless I'm going to consciously, cognitively choose to get up and get in the game and run a race, I'll never run a race. It'll always be tomorrow. It'll always be someday. I'll give one of these days. One person said it like this. They're going to be all that they wanted to be tomorrow. None would be braver or kinder than they tomorrow. A friend who was troubled or weary, they would be glad for a lift. And they needed it too. On him they would call to see what they could do tomorrow. Each morning they would stack up their letters, what they wanted to write tomorrow. They thought of the folks that they could fill with delight tomorrow. The greatest people they might have been, the world would have opened its arms to them. But in fact, they passed on and faded from view. And all they left when their living was through was a mountain of things they intended to do tomorrow. It might be the biggest move of your life may happen in this hour in which we live. Some of you have never chosen to follow Christ, have never said yes. You've always said tomorrow. Now, it's time to get up and become a runner in a race. It will not happen by accident. You will intentionally do it. Get in the race. Number two. Second value of a faith that God honors and values is when you have an in-it-to-win-it attitude. I want to win, whatever it is. Any competitors in the room, raise your hand. If you're a competitive person, all right? And some of y'all need to raise your spouse's hand right now because they are in denial. 
You know, why a bronze when you can get a silver? Why a silver when you can get a gold? You know, go for it all. But in the games of the first century, there was one prize. Not a second, not a third. You know, they say about a second place for the first losers. All right? You know, in the first century, they literally lived that out. You got one prize, one prize only, and that was it. And it went away. And so this is what Paul says in verse 24. Only one receives the prize. So run in such a way that you will obtain it. You hear the intensity in that? You hear the the competitiveness in Paul? Live in such a way that you're going to be the one who wins. Now, I don't believe in any way that Paul was trying to say that when we all get to heaven, all of us are going to round up and there's only going to be one person that's going to get a prize in heaven. I don't think he's saying that at all. And listen, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, all those people have got us all blown away. And I'm sure many people before them even. But the point is, is this, is that we should function We should live, we should act, we should breathe, we should live out our faith with a wholeheartedness about it. Not holding back 5% for ourselves, 10% for ourselves, 30% for ourselves, 100% for Him. Whatever He's called us to do. Ecclesiastes 9.10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Whenever you... um, you look at some of the greatest heroes that, that I read from and you've read from or know about, Jim Elliott says it like this, Whenever you are, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt in every situation you believe to be the will of God. George Patton said it like this, Always do more than is required of you. There, see this attitude about him, what he's trying to raise up inside of all of us is this attitude of I'm going to go the extra mile. I'm going to do everything. I'm going to go. Um, uh, there's no traffic jams the extra mile, as you've heard. Charles Swindoll said it like this. Quality is a race with no finish line. Competitive excellence requires 100% all the time. If you doubt that, try maintaining excellence by setting your standards at 92% or even 95%. People figure they're doing fine so long as they get somewhere near it. Excellence gets reduced to acceptable, and before long, acceptable doesn't seem to be worth the sweat if you can get by with adequate. And after that, mediocrity is only a breath away. Listen, Jesus lived his life and called his followers to live the life to the hilt, all in, in it to win it. In fact, he even gave the example of the man who had a hundred sheep and he lost one of them. He still had the 99, but he lost one. He had a 1% shrinkage. Now, which company in the world wouldn't be okay with 1% shrinkage? He said, a good shepherd will leave the 99 and go and find the one. Translate that to your faith. You know what? Until every one of my family members is a follower of Christ, I'm not finished. Until every people group has had a chance to hear the gospel at least once, I'm not finished. Until my neighbors have had a chance to know Jesus, I'm not finished. We as a church cannot settle for, hey, most everybody in Northwest Arkansas goes to goes to church, right? Most everybody knows about Jesus, right? So we're okay. Most becomes mediocrity. The the thing is, is that what is that 1% that I'm holding out for myself? What is that 1%, 2% that I'm not giving to God? 
And what do I need to do to be in it as if I'm the only one who's going to win? We're all runners if you're a follower of Christ. And if you're a follower of Christ and you're running, then guess what? Be in it to win it even if there's only one prize to give away. Ephesus is discovered in its uncovering of the city of Ephesus. They have found the old stadium in which they used to do their own uh, games, Greek games, if you will. And they found the old pillars that lined the streets of the 606-foot lane of uh, of running trail that they used to run on before they would turn around and then run back. And in in this way, they found these pillars that would line up the street. And one of them says, hasten, written in Greek. Another one says, turn, for it's time to turn around and go back. But the very first one it comes to, it says in Greek, excel. Excel. You know where we get the word excellence from? Excelling. You know what we need to do in our Christian faith? We need to excel. Mediocrity isn't okay. And some of us have sat on the sidelines long enough. Some of us have taken a sabbatical long enough. Some of us are just sitting back and watching enough. It's time to get out of the grandstands. It's time to get into the game. And it's time to win it, to, to, to be in it, to win it. Number three, Third value is living the value of no so that I can live the opportunity of the yes. Let me just tell you this. You know, we suffer in our, in our day and age from a lack of margin. We fill up our life with so many other things, so therefore we say yes to everything we want to say yes to, so then whenever a need or a right or a higher or a more noble thing comes up, we say no to because we don't have any more time, money, margin, whatever it may be in our life. Let me, t- let me tell you right now, we're about to go into our fall. We're about to go into a beautiful time in our church when there'll be families that will be coming from all over and they'll be moving into the area. And some of y'all are first time with us today and you know who I'm talking about because you're the, you're the family. Most of you all who have been here for a year, two years, three years, you chose Grace Point Church because you saw something in here. Y'all had children in your family and they needed a ministry. Your children needed growth. Let me ask you, how many of y'all are parents in the room? Raise your hand. All right. Most everyone. And some of y'all, I will say most of y'all still have kids at home because we've learned this. Whenever we get a husband and wife, we also get about three or four or five, six kids. It's amazing what happens in that whole process. The... The reality is, is that you came and you looked at Grace Point, and we know that one of the reasons you stuck around Grace Point is because there was a quality children's ministry here. Now, here's the reality. is That happened because there was a lot of runners in the race running. There was a lot of people who were saying, listen, I'm going to be a runner in the preschool department. I'm going to be a runner in the children's department. I'm going to be a runner in the student ministry department. I'm going to be a runner in the security team. I'm going to be a runner. Wherever there's a need, I'm going to be in there. We have a need right now. Right now, going into the fall, we need 50 runners, new runners, who will step up, rise up, and say, listen, I will be a part of We World. I will say no to that traveling team so that I can say yes to opening up the Bible with a child, maybe for the very first time, and praying with them for the very first time. What a difference that would make. I'll say no to going to the lake 
for a couple of hours. I'll just extend out my Sunday just a little bit longer so that I can set in and cut out and, and color on a piece of paper with a preschooler and teach them a Bible story. Now, I'll learn it myself, and as I teach them, they will learn it. Sounds so simple, right? But for some, it becomes mundane. But when you are a runner helping the next generation learn to run, that's a big deal, and you're making a huge impact. I'm going to put up on the on our screen. These are the names of if you're ready to get in the game and stop watching the game, grandstand in the game, water boy in the game, and you're ready to get in the game. These are people right now that you can contact. Christy and Leodra. Christy and Leodra right now are needing 50 people to rise up and say, "I will get in the game and I will be a part of your ministry and shaping the next generation. I'm going to be a runner in your ministry." No playing games. You know, you, you, you forget their names, they go off the screen, you can't remember, just write me. Mine's easy, Mike at GracePointChurch.net. All of ours are easy. Write us and say, hey, all you have to say is, Mike, I'm ready to, to get in the game, I'm ready to make a difference. Verse 25, notice it there. He says, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. One translation says, in everything. The King James Version goes into strict training. There's this training element that goes on. There's this discipline that comes in. Verse 27, I strike, I I bruise, a blow to my body and make it my slave. See, I have to say no to some things so I can say yes to the best things. But when I say yes to everything, I will miss out on the best thing. And a faith well lived is a faith that knows when to say yes and when to say no. I want you to read some verses out loud with me. Proverbs 23, verse 12. Apply your heart to discipline. 1 Timothy 4, 7. Train yourself to be godly. 2 Timothy 1, 7. For the Spirit of God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, self-discipline. Here, discipline, here, training Hear the, the idea in there that we are supposed to be in the game. We're supposed to be in it to win it. Tom Landry, one of the best football coaches ever of the horrible Cowboys today. He was a good Cowboy back then. All right? said it like this. The job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to. Athletes who are going to win gold medals go into strict training. They learn to say no to what they need to say no to and yes to what they need to say yes to because it's right. It won't be always easy and it won't be always popular. The athletes of this century, the athletes in the first century, literally would take their lives and put them on hold so that they could win in the games. Which leads me to the fourth quality. You've got to keep your sights on the long term. You've got to see past the immediate gratification of the moment. What we live for sometimes are the gold medals of life, the silver medals, the bronze medals of life. We go after. I, I, I went online this past week, found an article that told me how much the street value of a medal was. You know what the street value of a gold medal is? $600, a car payment. That's it. Cash it in, you got one month car payment. 
374 silver and $3.50 for a bronze. Yet some of us live our entire lives to be the sum total of $3.50. We need to find something of greater value. We need to find something, as he said there, we don't compete for a perishable crown. We're in it for an imperishable crown. We're in it for something that's meaning. That's going to require something of us. It's going to require deep down discipline. Paul said, I make myself a slave. I, I've mastered, uh, I, I will not be mastered by anything. You notice the self-control, the sheer discipline, the ability to say no when he wants to say yes. How do we do this? We look at our life and we go, listen, man, I've been living aimlessly. Don't live aimlessly. Don't live aimlessly. You, you notice what he said there in verse 26? He said, I, I, I don't run aimlessly. I don't, I don't even box the air. He uses two different metaphors, running and boxing. And neither of them mean anything. Running aimlessly, you're in a 100-meter dash, but you only run 40 meters. That's running aimlessly. You're in a boxing match, but all you do is shadow box. I used to box when I was growing up. Coach would tell us to go over in the corner and shadow box. You'd find your shadow in your box. I won all my boxing matches when I shadow boxed. I'd knock the guy out. But then I'd get in the ring and he'd knock me out. What was, the, what was the point? The shadow boxing is a good training mechanism, but it's not a good fighting. It's not the end. Of, it's not the end. Listen, we're going to have to be in this. We can't just live aimlessly in life. We can't just live. Listen, what we live for, I was talking to Randy walking in the building today. What we live for at the end of the day, all of our life gets, gets summed up into a box. Our body goes in this box and six foot underground. And our material goods get sold, taken to goodwill, given away, and put into a box and put into the attic. We live for that. Don't do it anymore. Don't live aimlessly. Live with meaning and purpose. But also don't disqualify yourself. Stay in it and live well. Live your life well, verse 27, he goes on and he says, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Listen, you've heard me say it before. Say it with me if you can remember it. We are all one decision away from stupid. We can all do pretty good with a lot of decisions in life. But we make one bad move, our marriage, our career, our integrity, our character, our children, gone. We've got to live like Paul did. We've got to run like Paul did in such a way that we'll not be disqualified. Now, no, 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 hear, hear me. Paul was not saying, I'm going to lose my salvation. No, 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 no. He wasn't saying that at all. See, you had to be a Greek citizen to even compete in the games. He didn't say, uh, as a Greek citizen, you'll lose your Greek citizenship if you're disqualified. No, you don't lose your citizenship in heaven, but you will lose the opportunity for the reward that God wants to give you in heaven. I don't know what that's going to be, but I haven't been disappointed with God yet. I don't think eternity I will be either. Run the race and run it well. Let's pray together. 
For some today in this room, you wouldn't even count yourself as being in the race. At best, you might be hanging out on the sidelines, up in the grandstand. You can see the sweat from the band and you can see the sweat of the people laboring and teaching the kids and working all around the church and going on global adventures and serving in South Asia and West Africa and around the world. You can see the sweat, but you're not a part of it. Listen, be in it to win it. Run the race. And what is that 1% you're holding on to, 10%, 20%, 30% that you need to give up today? Get out of mediocrity and give it up. This is the time where you get to make that decision. We're going to have some pastors around the room, some up on the landing, some uh, across the front here. If you want somebody to pray with, you say, I want to know what the next step is to getting in the game, to following Christ and walking with Christ. I, I need to renew my, I need to lace up my shoes again. I've taken them off and I've sat down and I've just become a critic. Lord Jesus, you know our hearts. You know where we're at. You know what you're calling us to. Just like Andrew and Stephanie, Lord, you're calling them away from comfort and ease and familiarity. You've called them out into the water, into the unknown. Lord, you may be calling some of us into this room, out into the unknown. Are we willing to go? Are we holding back that percent? Lord, you awaken us now to be runners in a race that when we die Lord and we meet you in eternity we can say we lived it well we did what was right and good and honorable Lord would you help us in this moment to hear from you in Jesus name Amen would you stand and sing with us